good morning, whether you're a mister or ms, a minister or a pastor or a layperson. If you're leadership, if you've got the call, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, this word is for you. I'm going to be talking about the difference between relationships in males and females in ministry and Christian Bible teaching, such as the difference between Queen Jezebel, all that national lore and urban grassroots great teaching and the perspective if it's under the law back under the law or not first of all let me say this as a person who happens to be a female god designed my hand tailored earth suit along with my parents help and when i accepted the lord i never thought it'd be anything different but fair and equal opportunity real respect no gender bias because i came up free from back under the law in my in my uh, ministry, but really from my childhood birth on up, from their parents on both sides who are Bible teachers, not under the law, not critical spirits. When I grew up in a safe, warm, loving, happy, even joyful, merry pastor's home, school teachers and, you know, in a wonderful, happy marriage environment, their marriage and their parents' marriage and the extended family, basically, I never even thought of needing to be liberated. You know, that was back in the day of the women's liberation coming into America. I never cared about it. I never wanted to be because I was happy. I was already liberated. I was never educated in a wrong sense. Women, thou shalt not. You can't, Tavo, because you're a female. You're only a female. I never heard that. I never even thought that vibe. Not until, you know, that critical vibe, that little woman you're subhuman, you're subservient, you're not my equal, easily dominated, maybe you're pretty much easily used. I never heard that. That never crossed my mind until the last 10 years. <laughs> Prior to the move up here, that's not about South Carolina, North Carolina. This is about what I had no clue and why I guess I was sent down there because of the lack of equal opportunity in real relationships in ministry, Christian ministry. And if you're a Christian, this word is for you. If you're from another faith, that's your choice. You're welcome to, you know, pay attention and listen, hear what God says to you. But I'm talking to the Christian. And I'm talking to me. Am I respectful to all colors, races, genders, preferred choices of beliefs, lifestyles, that didn't mean I condone you. That didn't mean I go there in your theology. But I will respect you in the office of the human which God made you. And he made you like him in his image, which is good. That's a Christian basic command, you know, understanding. God made everybody, male and female, in his image. So I have to go back now because I was never on this fiery type of pedestal. Just like, man, I didn't know I had to be this tough just to be heard, just to get the word of the Lord out. I wasn't raised around crazy Medica or trying to one-up somebody in ministry or being covered or pecking order. I was never around that. Basically, as a Christian, a natural Christian, you realize that there are scriptures in the Bible that teach about order and respect to keep relationships, society, harmony in the church as well, in the nation. And I'm for that. If you go back into the Old Testament Mosaic Law, we have the Levitical Law, we have the Mosaic Ten Commandments, all of which in that time in the Old Testament for the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, God did that because they were not able to invite Jesus into their heart and have the self-governing fruit of the Holy Spirit, temperance, Galatians 5, 23 Paul. And they didn't know Jesus as their Savior. They didn't have an inward GPS, as it were, a similar like the Holy Spirit to guide them and talk to them and direct them, plus the Bible. So they had their Bible, which the Bible teaches us. And I respect the Jewish people. Believe me, I'm talking to the Christian here. All right. The Bible from the Christian perspective and the Jewish perspective in the Old Testament, the law was to be a schoolmaster to train God's people, the Hebrew nation, in the difference between good and evil, how to guard, guide, govern their society, 
how to have days and sacrifices of atonement, repentance. So they kept their heart pure so they the whole nation would be favored by God, that they wouldn't slip into idolatry. Well, when all those things were going on, certainly there are always people who are more like accusers, people who misunderstand and tweak it in the wrong direction to make it more like a labor instead of a joy to follow the Lord. And that was back then. Surely that happened. Moses talked about the people who murmured and, you know, he had to govern them and he lost his cool and ended up not getting to go in the promised land as an aside because he lost his temper as the leader of God's people. And he struck the rock again and God said, "Uh uh-uh. You lost it. You blew it. You can look into the promised land, but you'll never go there because you're a bad temper. So all these things, if I go back and I, when I go back, I think of relationships. The history of God, why did he do it? Adam and Eve in the garden on, on up. The fall, Cain and Abel murder, life as we know it, life back then as they knew it, the relationship between God and Moses and his people and behind the scenes when G- when uh, Moses killed the Egyptian, but somebody saw him and it came back to haunt him later. And then there was the, the rod of God, the relationship between signs and wonders with let my people go with the Pharaoh, all those things. These people were not stupid people. These were smart, highly intelligent, gifted people. I know that. I respect the Hebrews. I respect the Jews. After all, they're Jesus' relatives from the Middle East. They were from his, his natural lineage on Mary's side, the line of Judah, which is not the tribe of Levi, the caustic, toxic roots of Levi, prophetic roots. Our Messiah comes from Judah, which means to praise, to plow, servant leadership, agricultural type things. So there are many things to look at, parallels between then and now, but also through relationships, through Old Testament law, why the law. I prefer because Ten Commandments have gotten big, bad press in many years, especially out in the grassroots where I work. And a lot of people are so confused that are Christians talking about anybody, they think it's to come to damn them accuse them, make them feel so small and persecuted by God that they don't want God. They're scared of it. And we're trying to, with good teaching, edifying teaching, keeping it simple to say, let's don't go back through rules and regulations, though you have to have some in a balanced, healthy way, I hope, safe way to protect people. But if you look through the Christian lens to the Christian, we're going to talk about inviting Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior, and he gives you a free deposit of his Holy Spirit. What I really like about that is John sixteen thirteen. It says, when the spirit of truth has come, he shall guide you into all truth. He will not talk about himself, but he will talk about things to come. That is a jam-packed PowerPoint major verse for the Christian community, for the believer community. It talks about when the spirit of truth shall come and it ends up with he will guide you. The spirit of truth will guide you into all truth in the right season, of course. He'll guide you, but that means that's the foreshadowing of teaching on the spirit of prophecy, the oracle office in ministry, in your home, getting a word from the Lord, hearing God's guidance. But let's pull this apart a bit. All right. I want people to know we're not flaky here. We're common sense. We've been through a lot of things where I've had to have miracle jump starts. I've had to have an answer of prayer and it didn't come easy or fast, but it came. So we're here to have, have reality, a balance, but also good Bible, thorough instruction with God's help. When the spirit of truth shall come, John Four, 16, 13. How does the spirit of truth come? Well, first of all, it, he comes when the person invites Jesus Christ into their heart and accepts Jesus' free offer of the gift of salvation, and he gives them eternal life. However, not just only does he get or she get eternal life, which is valuable forever, 
but they get a little deposit, which is huge, really, but a free deposit that's silent, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, God's spirit of truth, the creator spirit of truth that lives inside. And he gives him a persona, personality. He can guide you into all truth. All right. What does that mean that he will guide you by the inward witness of the Holy Spirit balanced by Bible teaching without the law, without condemnation, without being flaky or greasy grace, without formula or manipulation, twisting it to get something out of God or anybody else and losing your way in that. So when the spirit of truth shall come, he will guide you into all truth. What does that mean? That you're going to know everything? You're going to know everything about life and the universe and all sorts of things? God, no. That means the perspective of eternity. Yes, you can say that once you get If you've invited Jesus into your heart, you get to heaven. You will know all truth back then. But for now, while you're in the earthly time and space package, you get to know just the might of truth if you really want it and ask God and persist and are faithful and receive it. He can, the spirit of truth, if you claim and believe God for it, have your faith out. He will guide you into all the truth that you need to know about your life your call, your ministry, your abilities, your gifts, your family, what you need to know in business day by day, gently. And it's sort of like Enoch, the prophet Enoch, grandson of Adam, Genesis 5, had a relationship with God that was his primary primary thing in life that he treasured. It said that Enoch walked and talked with God daily and that one day God was God took him and he wasn't there. In other words, God and Enoch fellowship 24-7 and then God could speak to him every so often or whenever he wanted and communicate somehow. Don't know if it's words or impressions or ideas. He could communicate to him, do this. I don't want you to go there. And Enoch would say, but God, you know, what about this? And God would answer in his own way in his time. This is not a dogma. This is not a formula. This is just an imp- how the Lord does now in the New Testament with myself and many, many millions of others around the world. There is such a thing, I believe, that for the last 25 years, 20 years, I've noted there is a type of Enoch generation that are hungering after the Lord first, that are needing his power, wanting him as a relationship. They are praying and hanging out with God daily, 24-7, 365, like Enoch. And then I believe that one day God's going to come and take them when that time arrives. All right, so we're here for the body of Christ. We're here to stir up thought, to train people, to be there. You know, if you need a creative soul, a creative... Um, think tank, ministry, doctrinal examination, you know, discuss stuff. We believe that a lot of what I have, especially like Galatians 1, 1 and 2, my office from the Lord, is really working it out humbly, saying, Lord, you, I didn't know I'd do this, but would you please train me why, you know, you're, I'm doing it for other people, but what is it about it? I'm a female, you know, sometimes I think, but Lord, this is a person who happens to be dressed in a female earth suit. That's not popular in ministry, but I'm not here to please and be popular. I'm here to do what God wants, and that's to obey. And you can assess me. Is is it right? Is it wrong? You can assess me all you want, as a, but don't judge me, accuse me, because that would be like, It looking like the accuser in Genesis 3, Revelation 12, the accuser of the mother and brethren, which is what is written plainly in the male gender. The female is written in the, the Jezebel is written in the female gender, but I don't accuse any men, all men of being accusers, not at all, not white men, brown men, any kind of men, because my father wasn't an accuser, and I know so many. I never had to be this way, this strong, tough love, till the last few years when I realized how many people are beating people down in their ministry by these 
put-downs of gender or legalisms and then accusing and witch-watching and all these things and it's chauvinism and misogyny, which I was not aware of existed as a Christian minister until the Deep South that I just left. As a result, I think, man, there are all those people that want to know Christ, but maybe they're getting, that's why it's more people out of church than in. Maybe that's why the Christian church in the United States nation had been going down prior to COVID. I don't know what's going on with it now, but there is two years before that, the online polls are saying everybody's, you know, all these people are not going to church. The millenniums never want to go and all this, and they're taking their kids with them. So I thought I better just study my Bible and get my heart right. And then I'm going to speak out to please the audience of one, not to please anybody in the Pharaoh system, not to please anybody in the hoops jumping legalists. I can care and love you from afar, but I'm not going to be taken wrong in the abuse of power. That is what legalism uses. It's abuse of power, and it is uses sin-spying, witch-watching, accusation, rules and regulations to micromanage and control God's people when really they need to be given the authority to have their own self-government, teach them how to practice discerning boundaries of leaders, chain of command, like Ephesians 5.21, like my parents, and I was raised in that. And Ephesians 4 community, a diverse community, so there's none of this big I, little you, all this put down that one faces when one simply wants to love Jesus in Hebrews 10.25. All these things, persons out there, are what I've learned the hard way. I've had to be led of the Spirit which I enjoy. It's the Holy Spirit. He'll say, go here, do that, attend that meeting or not. I could stay at home, but the Lord said, do it, I go. I Many times I've been supremely, wonderfully blessed and protected by getting to know the Holy Spirit and worship and good teaching and the Spirit moving in the gifts type thing. On the other hand, there are other things when you go there for those reasons, those purposes, you find that there's legalism backbiting, suspicious Christians that are sort of working it to make a system. I guess it's to get their revenue in. So I'm not into that crowd, but I know the crowd and I can teach doctrine as a result of that pure-hearted doctrine that's not back under the law. That's equal opportunity, real diverse, that trains, seeks to train God's people in the fear of the Lord, not fear of man. Not pecking order, but how to hear God so that when you show up, you're in James 3.17 character with all the fruits of the wisdom above instead of having to be disciplined or tolded or scolded because you just failed to meet the rules. It's a long, long process I've been into, really, God has had me into, purposely understand what goes on out in the grassroots in the seats, not up on stage. Up on stage is a different turf. Out in the seats is where I am. That's where most people are. And I enjoy both sides, but I come from a pastor and a mature, healthy group of ministers and leaders, so I don't have to be on that stage to be happy. I can be happy anywhere. Right now, I'm happier away from anybody who has no fear of the Lord in the Christian ministry sense. All right. So if I go back and I look at how can we defrag ministry leader accusation to make Jesus's house safe for the newbie, the atypical, the atypical visitor. And I mentioned people's energy. I believe that is my issue. The whelp have issue with a woman with the energy that's on me. And I don't know what, unless it's Holy Spirit power and might. Pentecostal power and might. I'm not a Pentecostal, but I am. If you really are filled with the Holy Spirit and the might of God and God's seven spirits, according to Isaiah 11.2, then you're prone to have power and might, and I've needed it. But I remember, I'm gentle. I'm a gentle spirit, always have been. A merry heart, but not a fool. I'm not going to be there and put down and condemn because I look a certain way. I look like your aunt who is the witch. I look like somebody who is a former visitor that you're scared of now. So I'm speaking. When I talk like this, 
I picture the giant, the accuser of the sisterin and motherin and leaderin that I've never met any other color except white. That kind of legalism, Western European Levitical patriarchism, is the worst nightmare for me as a human being sent on God's ministry as an apostle, as a prophet, for the sake of the nation and the body of Christ, the Christians, so that we can resemble him and the bride is prepared. It should be a family, not a threat. Christ following, no matter how many churches, what they look like, what their size or not, or what their color, God likes diverse, so do I. There to be a family, one branch of the family, one part of the family, not a schism, but a family, a tribe, and, you know, like-minded families, some you get along with and some you don't. But you respect them, at least you respect them, and are James 3.17 easily entreated, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy toward them, without partiality toward them, and without hypocrisy toward them, and I am. So, many, I guess 20 years ago, the Lord showed me a good word to explain this. It is like Ezekiel's wheel. Being led on divine appointment day by day, like Enoch, one day in, one day out, listening to the Lord, leaning upon him, getting good instruction, wise advice, keeping accountable. If you're married, let the spouse, you know, you're not a flaky person. You're organized. So then you go out there and you just want to obey the Lord and you have different things God is telling you to do. Well, then if you're supposed to go, God will tell you. So I believe in for the church my kind of ministry and fellowship, when there is one, a Christian fellowship for males and females, it will be led of the Spirit. If you're supposed to be there, you will know it and you come, otherwise you don't come. Minimize conflict that way. But also we live in perilous times and you don't want to be anywhere that you should not be just to please somebody or please yourself. You hear God and really listen. The other part is, if you are in somebody's team, like my team, it is like you're a member, but I don't need members. I don't want members. I don't want people to be under me. I want to be like a Galatians 1, 1 and 2, Paul, the brothers and sisters that are with me, co-laborers, everyone keeping their act together with the Lord in James three seventeen, fruit of self-control and self-discipline, respect regarding boundaries, my boundaries, their boundaries, everybody else's, and then acting in Ephesians 5.21, mutual submission in the fear of the Lord, the Holy Spirit leading everybody. Chain of command, such as Adam and Eve. Let's go back to Genesis 1, Adam and Eve. Prior to all the rules and regulations, the Ten Commandments, no law, because there's no law needed. Nobody wanted to commit mayhem or hurt anybody or, or you know, rebel against God. So when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, this is a key point. Before the accusation and sin got in the garden, when Eve was deceived, Genesis 3, and Adam willfully partook when he didn't have to, but he just wanted to please his wife. And that's what offended God. Chain of command order. When God made Adam and Eve, there were no rules because God and them communed in a relationship. It was so peaceful. Everything was fun, harmony, organic, ergonomic seating all over the garden. And Adam, before Eve was formed was told by God, by himself, don't eat of that one tree, the tree of good and evil. So Adam got it. Well, then later, Eve is formed out of Adam's DNA, his rib. A little aside, therefore, if Eve is formed out of Adam's DNA, she was equal, valid, and not second-rate, second-class citizen. I got to say that because it's out there in the grassroots. It is out there big time. Is I've because I've seen it. Not in my family. Not until I moved. But now I'm out of there. It breeds disrespect. So Adam and Eve were equal, just different roles. He was the head, the governor of the planet. Let's say head of all, the father of everybody to come, and she was the mother of everyone to come, and the governor's wife. But she was not his little woman. 
he was she was not his gopher she was equal and they acted in a relationship with the lord as a team and so one day when adam had went to sleep and god formed eve out of his marrow bone marrow she was the bone of his bone flesh of his flesh and there was no division no fighting no hatred however she got told about don't eat that tree by adam and god because in genesis 3 there's no law there's nobody doing anything wrong when all of a sudden they're happy in the garden and here comes this snake plop down in the garden the serpent beguiling and sneaky manipulating and accusing and the main thing to know is that the serpent accuses the fruit of the serpent not christ the fruit of the serpent accuses jesus would assess and discern and evaluate but he would not accuse and we can see the roots in this there's no accusation before there's no accusation in relationships in life before this snake comes along the deceiver satan so eve is out there in the sunlight her beautiful long mane flowing in the breeze picking flowers whatever making jelly sandwiches i don't know what she's doing but the serpent comes up and he tries to deceive her into tricking her into eating that fruit because he hates god revelation 12 is what really went on there was a rebellion the mutiny in heaven the old archangel the lucifer belzebub he was the worship leader who was so beautifully had instruments and jewels sewn into his body you know put on his body but he and a few angels mutinied against god because his pride his lion pride says, I'm as good as God. God better move over. I'm taking over here. So, of course, there's a great warfare in heaven. And Revelation 12 talks about how the mutiny, the accusation, the deceiver was cast down to heaven, cast down to earth, kicked out of heaven. And see, that's when Genesis 3 takes up where he left, where he landed. The good news is that even though he is called the liar, that Satan is the accuser, the murderer, that over in Revelation 12, we have a happy ending if we want it, if we know about it, to teach in a Christian sense, prophetic community, because it says that you can read for yourself the passage of what happened when Jesus was sent to save, to redeem, and it says that the church, the pure church, the pure-hearted church might go through the fire, but that they would have the power handed back to not accuse, to overcome him. They overcame him. Who's him? The accuser, the deceiver, the liar. All right. They came, they had the power given back because of the Holy Spirit. Like I said in John 16, 13, the Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into how not to let those cuss words come out and condemn anybody accuse anybody badmouth anybody gossip character assassinate he will tell you how with god's help and his input how not to retaliate when somebody curses you out gossips character assassinates you or even wants to hurt you has you know mean so there's a power of discipline a power of self-control the fruit of the spirit and the power over our nursing of grudges unforgiveness is bad mouthing persecuting people and then being persecuted all these are revelation 12 accuser issues because guess what everyone represents a relationship whether it's god and us god and them satan and you satan and them another person against you wife marriage friend foe whatever all these are a relationship and this is part of my abiding Three, six, James 3.16 relationship theology that God gave me down in the deep. Furted South. Sunny, furted South. All right. So we go back, and if we can get our teaching where we can get 
Father God's good name cleared that he's not an accuser or an abuser or one that is one that is, you know, all these men. I meet so many wonderful Christian men, and a lot of them were raised by cruel or mean, abusive parents, mainly father, authority, male figures that were very accusative or they preached that God is going to burn them in hell. And now they have this big deal. They have daddy issues. They can't picture Father God who wants a relationship with them like Adam in the garden. They can't picture him as not mean and ready to do him in. If they make any mistake or fall and have any sin, they can't go there because they've got this big paranoid cultural. It's on TV, all the things we've heard through our lives. This big God is going to get you and you're going to burn for hell because I say so. But nobody teaches the Bible. All right. A lot of men are are fearful, and that's why they're indifferent. A lot of people are, but a lot of people are just zoned out of God because it's too much for them. It's too heavy with all the other stuff that's going on. The fear factor is enormous. So we're over here trying our best to defrag the doctrine, defrag the Levitical law, the accuser in ministry. Pray for me. Pray for me. I really need it. Okay, so we look at the prior to the law, Genesis 1 and 2, the creation, the wonderful relationship with the Lord, Adam and Eve formed, everyone equal, same DNA. Then we see chapter 3 of Genesis, the accuser comes, the backbiter. And here's what's so interesting. When I teach uh, Church of Thyatira, Revelation 2, 18 through 29 about Jezebel and it's really not about the Jezebel in that passage it's about the male leader or the leader whoever it is could be a female now but back then it was a male lampstand apostle office and him being too weak or scared could be a her today to go set down the intimidating person who happened to be a female teacher that was allowed to teach in the churches amazingly, but they picked the wrong one, and her name was Jezebel, teaching false teaching and fornication and eating meat offered to idols was okay. But it was a bad thing that she was doing it, but it was a worse thing to the Lord that the head prophet, the head person of the whole church, the office, would not even confront her and set her down. That was the big deal. So it was about the man. <laughs> Today it could be a woman, but anybody allowing themselves to be controlled. Could be false teaching now, could be different things. So when I looked at the church of, uh, excuse me, I look at 1 Kings 16, which is also the other only other Jezebel teaching. And we see that it's about Omri. And it's about Omri. He reminds me of Adam. Let me tell you why. All right, a couple of things. When I look at Genesis 3, we have Eve being deceived. She runs over to Adam and says, here, honey, have some of this fruit. Man, I took, I, you know, I ate this fruit. You try it. Nothing happened to me. You know, so she was rebellious, but she was deceived by the snake, it says. So Adam, who was not deceived, could have said no to his dear honey bun, his wife. But instead, he didn't choose to please God who told him in Genesis 2, don't eat that fruit privately before Eve arrived. But instead, he says, okay, honey, I'll try it. So he willfully picks it up out of her hand, takes it, places it on his mouth, tongue, chews it, ingests it, and all of a sudden, all H, hell, comes on the earth. Sin and, guess what? Turmoil, but accusation. The accuser comes. Here's how we know it. Two things happen. They feel accused because they're naked. They had been bare before, but didn't bother them. But now that they realized they were naked, they felt it was sin. They were being accused about their bodies, about being in sin, even though they were wed with God's permission. So they both started to hide. That's the first sign is hiding. So they run off and they kill an animal and they make fig leaves or whatever happened they did. And they make their own clothes. They come up with their own plan to escape God's wrath, to escape God finding out. They come up with a false earth suit, as it were. So God is not moved, but he is a good father. He's a great father. 
And so this father is tested. Here he's got this plan for eons and billions of people and lives and the world being perfectly organic and happy, no war. When all of a sudden he knows in his heart, father knows it's it's they've done it. They've eaten that fruit. So he goes to the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? This is the telling point. He doesn't say, Adam and Eve, where are you? He respects Adam as the firstborn head of planet, chain of command, and says, Adam, where are you? As a good father, and this is great for a Christian father to think of, as a great father, he wasn't critical, and, and he didn't say things like, Adam, where are you? You better come on over here. I know what you did. He didn't do that. That's what I love. He's not an accuser, but he is just, and he wants to hold Adam accountable. So he says, Adam, where are you? To me, as a parent... I believe God is testing Adam to say, will you fess up, man up, and human up, and confess so that I can spare you the big punishment of eternal death, you know? But Adam doesn't. He's not man enough to do it. And instead he says, well, that woman you gave me, she made me eat it. She gave it to me, Lord. It's her fault. So we see, instead of Adam being man enough to f- confront God and fess up, that he has gotten that old streak of mean on him, that carnal streak of double talk, manipulation, the devil himself accusing. And who does he accuse? The only one left on the planet. <laughs> it's his wife. And that ducking, avoiding, blame-shifting Adept blame-shifting accuser is still part of the human trait today. Right now, I, I mean, it's everywhere. So the avoiding being accountable is a huge deal because why? When God comes, he has a relationship. He, re, he expects relationship respect from both his children, Adam and Eve. And Adam is his son. Instead, he's avoiding God. He's avoiding relationship reality. He's avoiding relationship accountability. And that's a part of it. That's part of the sin is emotional intrigue, double-tongued manipulation, lying to God. All right. Now I look that after that, everything went downhill. In the next chapter, not just are they under the curse, but they have two children and the first two children get into a big You know, Cain, the firstborn, is envious. He has negative self-talk, angry, blaming, accusing self-talk against his brother Abel because God liked his offering better. And instead of working it out with himself and God, he complains to himself and he gets so resentful and bitter that he goes over and murders his own brother and blood is shed. What sorrow upon sorrow and then the rest of the, you know, Bible you can read for yourself. So what we're doing is trying to minimize accusation, but I have to minimize legalism and minimize backbiting and also male-female issues. These are huge male-female relationship, pastoral issues. I like to now look, because I mentioned it before, 1 Kings 16. Let's look and compare how Adam acted his willful participation, not ducky, I mean, you know, he willfully partook of the fruit and ate it. And let's look at the lore, the urban legends of Jezebel in first, first Kings chapter 16. If you read through the whole chapter of 16, it talks about the kings of Israel and how that the, the worst king of all Israeli kings, the most evil and ba- and uh, Baal worshiper. First Kings sixteen twenty five was Omri, O M R I. King Omri was notorious as the worst, worst person who committed idolatry in the whole line of kings. And if you know back then, they were all schooled tutored by the law, by the priests, by being in the environment of the whole Hebrew nation. That was just part of the turf. The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, with all the laws. And in those books, in the teaching of the law, it says, do not marry other people of other faiths. Keep it in the family. Don't matter foreign nations, idolaters, don't practice any kind of idolatry, little g gods. 
And you think that in the environment steeped in such history, steeped in such a life, that he would have gotten it. But in 1 Kings 16, we have Omri being the worst, the worst national king that ever did such vile heathen practices. However, he has a little baby boy, and the little baby boy's name Ahab. And Ahab is used to getting what he wants, I guess, because he's raised up and he gets even worse in his own practices of heathen idolatry and Baal worship, even than his father Omri. Well, if I hear the Jezebel story as I have in the Christian community for more than 30 years, then everyone thinks, well, you know, that old, that poor henpecked Ahab, oh, that weak, you know, they know he's weak, but it's like Ahab gets accused of being weak and the victim and Jezebel is the mean, seductive, ornery, demonic lady. So therefore all strong appearing ladies probably are suspected to be a Jezebel if they look good, especially old or young, black or white. So we now teach it correctly. If we look ourselves, we see, yes, there is evil in the practices of Omri. That comes down to the next generation of Ahab. Well, Ahab has still been around the law. He knows it. He's read it. He's heard it by osmosis from being a Hebrew. Do not intermarry with people outside the faith. People who don't love the, the one God, Jehovah, all right? He still practices Baal worship no matter what. It's his own choice. So one day, Ahab thinks, you know, I like that fine-looking woman, that fine-looking woman named Jezebel. Her father is one of the dignitaries, King Ethbaal. Well, that tells you right there. His last name is Ethbaal, B-A-A-L. So he goes over willfully, like Adam did. It's not a similar human nature. So even though Jezebel looked fine, it was up to Ahab to practice self-control, self-constraint, and submit to the law, the holy scriptures of God, please him first before himself. But he doesn't. He walks over there one day. He says, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? Of course, the king says, yep, that looks like a smart business move. That man will take this rambunctious lady off my hand. Let me get rid of her over there to, add, you know, because she was demonic. So she gets married. And of course, that brings the worst, worst trial to the Holy Spirit in the nation of Israel. We have the prophet Elijah threatened, the false prophets of Baal, 850, and all the miracles and signs and wonders happened. And, you know, that's another story. But to tell the tale correctly, to tell it and teach it without bias, without anti-woman bias, with anti-male bias, with anti-anybody bias, tell it right if we're going to do it. So we have to teach Adam and Eve. We want to teach it correctly. Chain of command. Good authority that's healthy. We're going to teach Ephesians 5.21. Mutual submission and the fear of the Lord in marriage and in church. With leadership having to teach chain of commands. Some are not going to be easy to deal with. So you have to be more strict. But not like the accuser or controller. Or a dominator. We teach Revelation 2. Church of Thyatira correctly. Because I'm in the field with your fruit. I am in the field with your relationships, and that is why I know they're needed. And this will teach great parenting, great uh, role modeling of Christian authority for children to learn, teach the children well. And we won't grow up bumping into these stereotypes, misogyny, disrespect, anti-woman, anti-mother, type of misogyny. I say, read Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, in all his relationships, when he was alive on the earth, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, to see how he acted with women, fallen women, fallen men, real people, in ministry and in real life with his mother Mary, how Jesus acted and he reacted. And you will find none of this accuser of the saints. He did not say, think all women are in rebellion. 
he didn't have he wasn't an LP and MILP Middle Eastern Levitical patriarch because when the when the accuser Pharisees come and throw the female caught in adultery, the woman caught in adultery at his feet, they're ready to stone her. They threw her at Jesus to see what he'd do to trick him. And instead, because Jesus was holy, he respected her, and he also was not a Levitical patriarch back under the law. He paused, he prayed, he heard the Lord God tell him how to say it. And then he looked at those men and he looked at those misogynistic men and he said, which one of you have never sinned? You cast the first stone. Well, when I think about it, knowing what I do, I think, you know, that was a group of men there. He knew that somebody in their midst, at least one, probably several, had committed adultery, fornication, or lust. And when he said what the Holy Spirit told him to say, which one of you have never sinned, it hit him like a rock, a stone of revelation, and they got it and slunk away. And when Jesus looked at the woman, he said, go and sin no more. But you know what? Where was the man caught in adultery? This is the LP trait. If you are divorcing in America today and you get a counselor that you don't want to divorce, that you want counsel, they always say it's the woman's fault. If somebody gets a divorce, the LPs won't chat with her, but they'll just say, you know, she did it. She probably committed adultery. That's how they do it in the front lines of America. It's sad. And I've seen this how many countless times in my journey of 44 years studying the body of Christ embedded in the grassroots till lately. The Lord said, if you see something once or twice that is hurtful to people or my name, ignore it. Just don't think it was a fluke. If you see it three or more times, I want you to train on it. Well, I've seen this LP stuff and this type of Levitical patriarchism and anti-female negativity and bias countless times. And I always think, thank God I had a dad that was great that I never had anything like this until I started moving in the gifts of the Spirit, getting in prophecy in the mid-90s. And TV media affected and charismatic movement. I never heard of it. I would never think like that. I don't think like that. I don't think patriarchal or matriarchal. But now that I've been exposed to it, I can read it a mile away, and it knows me. It has a, It's a spirit. It's a religious spirit, a demonic spirit, because if I walk in a room and it's there, it'll find me. I don't have to say a thing. That's why I teach James 3.17, because I am James 3.17, and they don't. that spirit tries to accuse me, jump me, character assassinate me, and I wrote Ode to Whelp at, I wrote Ode to Whelp as a culmination that I've met many people besides myself, other than myself, who've been through this same kind of weird, bitter spirit. I really believe that it comes from a misogynistic, soulful anger, unforgiveness toward women from before we met them. Before I met him, my dad was not angry. I don't come from knowing what angry people until later when I got, you know, grown up. So I never think anger, retaliation, accusation, because I didn't hear that in my life until I got out in ministry, you know, certain parts of the Christian ministry, not all. And I think Baptists don't do that. Black people don't do it. I know that. Brown people don't seem to do it. So I don't do it. I don't think, why do I have to know about it, God? But I do it because many people are going through this suffering just for trying to fellowship with the saints comply with Paul in a, uh, Hebrews ten twenty five, But I am for community. I'm for mutual submission in the fear of the Lord, for co-laboring, being a team like Paul in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, everyone walking in meekness and lowliness and humility and long-suffering to preserve unity and community in the body. I also am for James 3, 17, education. If you say you're a minister or I say I'm a minister, you think you're a Christian, then do you really understand that you are representing the wisdom that comes from above? You can role model it and be like the Messiah, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy, or and or you can represent the, the accuser, male or female. 
You can accuse people because they're black. You can accuse people because they have, are overweight. You can accuse people because they're underweight. You can accuse people because they go to, don't go to church or go to too many churches. There are a thousand reasons. And only the and that's why Jesus needs us to ask him into our heart to be our Savior. I can't make it unless I have Jesus giving me help, his healthy approach his healthy wisdom and also self-control and a better motive than just pleasing myself. A higher revelation that I'm not here on this earth forever. That what I do counts every day. That I'm not in it to make the money. I'm not in it to be famous. I'm not in it to be a phony and try to pull the wool over people's eyes to get somewhere, get what I want. You know, I've needed money. I've needed things. I really have. But you know what I've got is better than money. I have joy. I have godly contentment, which is great gain. I have really offended people. A lot of people upset because they think I need to go out there. I'm not on the system. I've never been. I've been out there believing God, but I never had done it before. And things weren't going my way, but I, I feel so joyful. I feel like the system wants me to be like it. I don't want to be like the system. I want to be like Jesus. And, you know, a lot of people in these foreign lands that are not on TV are living in H. They're living in poverty. They're living with demons. I want to be out there to help them. I don't want to live out there all the time. But I'm saying that I've had a perspective that money cannot buy and people have wanted to buy me with money. You know, and it's been a time. I'm ready for the, but I had to get out of the grassroots where I used to be in the former state because they were immature. They were so immature and shallow. And I really felt like that I had paid my dues more than twice, three times out there. And that's when the Lord said, you're allowed to go. (laughs) And I did. (laughs) But I will say, parting is such sweet sorrow. No, (laughs) it wasn't. But I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity. I got to do so many things I would never have done if I had not lived in the deep Southwest. I would never have gotten revelation about the accuser or the Messiah. No, I would never have gotten about assess versus accuse. It's healthy to assess. I would never have gotten free to be this bold and untamed. I was always, you know, micromanaged all my life prior to that. And I just didn't have the, um, I just didn't have the, the untamed revelation like I do now. And I'm so grateful for it. Even when I had horrible things, a few horrible things, assaults, uh, people do me in, try to rape me in the office because they were on drugs. I really only came out better and stronger and feeling more safe, more secure, more peaceful. People don't like me. That's fine. I don't have to be liked, but I love Jesus. And it is nice now where I am now. I feel like I'm in a community. It's a safe community. It's probably the best, one of the better communities in ministry I have ever seen in all my life, except for my dad, my father. And that means there's several ministers up here, several groups, two or three groups that are like that. And it's a safe feeling when, to me, I believe it's because they don't accuse. They assess. They are EOR. They are James 3.17, whether they think about it or not. They are for the body of Christ. Well, I've got to go because my time is, I'm looking down here on my different thing, but I will say God is the good. All I've said, I've had the peace of God that is all amazing and surely magnificent that he has sustained me, kept me and given me such peace in small quarters, big quarters, or whatever through my life. And I want to brag on him that I can laugh. You know, the Bible says that God is a God of justice and judgment. Well, you know what? We need him to have justice and judgment. But first, let's judge ourselves. Not accuse or judge, but just sort of, you know, or legalistically, but say, Lord, am I missing it anywhere? Have I not forgiven you or other people or myself, have I messed up and not being willing to take ownership? This is part of it. And then the other part is we are going to be milled and tested and tried in our faith repeatedly. If you have a call, a gift, 
So we have to just keep on going. But my best advice and wisdom today, because I'm signing off, is abide in enduring James 3.17 with God's help. This is Tavo DRC signing off for now. God bless you. Bye-bye.